Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussions, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. My name is Kim Moody. I'm the CEO of Moody's Tax. I'm here with my colleague, Kenneth Kung. Hello, everyone. Kenneth is the uh, director of Canadian Tax for our firm and uh, one of the smartest guys around, as I always say. And today we're going to talk about year-end planning tips for uh, private business owners in Canada. And as we record this, it's U.S. Election Day, November Mm -hmm. 3rd. So I think a lot of people around the world and in Canada have bigger things in mind than tax planning, but... Uh, that, 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 that's all we, we have in mind. That's all we... <laughs> we're tax geeks, so... Um, and so year-end planning is always something that comes up routinely before the end of the year. And actually, I wrote about this in my book, Kenneth. Uh, I released a book earlier this year, Making Life Less Taxing. And one of the things that's rather predictable over the years is... Starting around now in November, you're going to get a flurry of media articles, usually very fluffy and light, that say, here's the top 10 things you need to do before the end of the year to save tax. And then, like clockwork, you know, before the end of April next year, uh, which is personal tax filing deadline, you're going to see a flurry of articles again on, you know, what you could do to save tax. And, you know, those kinds of articles, Kenneth, I don't know about you, but they drive me crazy, right? And as I said in my book, it, it even though it's good media and good cycles, you know, start in November and then, you know, start pumping out articles again in February and March and April, you know, that's not good tax planning. Good tax planning should be year-round. You know, guys like you, as you've already said, we think about tax all the time and we try to take proactive measures for our clients all the time, but... I guess what we're going to do today, Kenneth, is we're going to succumb to the to the media cycle and, and do a podcast on what are some of the things that should be done legitimately by the end of the year. So right. any thoughts on uh, my opening little rant? <laughs> uh, no, no, I totally agree. The, the only way you plan is you you plan before a transaction and by the end of the year is usually too too late. Right. I. But But still, there's... There are things you should be doing by the end of the year. And this is what this very short podcast will talk about. Exactly. So we're going to make the presumption that we're dealing with private business owners here today. And so, you know, before the end of the year, the calendar year, what are some of the things that that some private business owners should should do? Kenneth, Mm -hmm. we'll start with you. Yeah. So first, you want to understand where things are. So first, how much did... As, uh, how much approximately did your business make? So for I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that the business is inside a corporation. So you probably have some idea of the profit for the year. The next thing you want to look at is how much you have already taken out from the corporation, um, i.e., how much shareholder loan debit balance there is, because if you don't clear out that balance regularly, there is going to be tax problems. And thirdly, you want to look at what kind of tax pools is available inside the company. For example, is there a capital dividend account? You you should be thinking about paying out uh, as a tax-free capital dividend. Or um, RDTOH, refundable dividend tax on hand, uh, whether it's eligible RDTOH or non-eligible RDTOH. And consider the 
the pros and cons of getting a getting those refunded by paying our taxable dividend, and of course also um, estimate what kind of general rate income pool you may have by the end of the year, and 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 also um, understand how much payroll you've already paid yourself and your family members, just so you know the lay of the land before you can even start planning. Right. So, um, good point. I mean, in other words, know your pools, know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a typical private business owner, a lot of times they'll just take money out and, and have a shareholder loan, and then they'll figure out later whether it's a salary or dividend, which, frankly, I think in most cases could be tackled better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, in, in reality, that's what happens yeah. in all, almost all cases. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so let's say it's a dividend. Do we have any other concerns if, if, if ultimately there's dividends that are declared before the end of the year or with, you know, with effect by the end of the year? Well, um, one thing with dividend is you have to be very careful of TOSI, Tax on Split Income Rules. Right. If the dividend uh, is going to a person, who a shareholder, who has not been actively engaged on a regular substantial basis in the business, that dividend may be subject to the top marginal tax rate uh, in that shareholder's hands. So in those rules, as you and I both know, because we were pretty actively engaged when those rules started uh, you know, to be proposed and ultimately you know, revised and implemented into law. And you know, our firm with your leadership and uh, Kenneth, you know, we developed this TOSI flowchart, which has gotten a lot of pickup, and it's on our website. Uh, bottom line is you need to be very, very careful as to whether or not TOSI applies uh, to, you know, to any proposed dividends or otherwise remuneration. Not remuneration, because salaries uh, are subject to a different set of rules, but bottom line is if you're looking at engaging in family income splitting, be very, very careful that the TOSI rules don't apply and have that done before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and although the TOSI rules don't apply to salary, if an amount of a salary is not reasonable, so for example, if uh, you are paying a child who, let's say, we're not actually doing anything with respect to the business, a salary, uh, some kind of wages, that amount would not be deductible to the business because those amounts would not be reasonable. So, uh, but although TOSI don't apply, um, you will have a deductibility problem. That's right. Because uh, Section 67 of the Income Tax Act will deny any unreasonable expenditures. So, good point, Kenneth. Always have to consider that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, moving on, um, what other things should private business owners consider uh, before the end of December 2020? Mm-hmm. Well, we touch on salary and dividend, but like uh, often you do have to decide on paying something, uh, either because you need more funds or just because you need to clear out a shareholder loan debit. So the question comes down to, do I pay myself more salary slash bonus or do I pay myself more dividends? And there's pros and cons to each. And with salary, so with a salary, the good things are you get a deduction in the corporation, as, as, uh, assuming it is a reasonable amount. You get to build up CPP, Canada Pension Plan, room for the year. 
and you build up our RRSP contribution room for the year up to uh, a certain threshold. The, the downside of salary is CPP is expensive because you, you're going to be you're going to have to pay the employee portion of the CPP and the employer portion of the CPP um, as the owner manager, uh, owner, manage, uh, owner manager, and that could go up to almost six thousand dollars. So you do have to weigh whether um, that is worth it for you to get a CPP when you retire. And the other downside of salary is salary is taxed at a higher rate than dividends. So good segue into a dividend. The pros for a dividend is there is a dividend tax credit, and that's why the personal tax rate on a dividend is lower. In fact, I think for the first thirty, uh, for the first few few ten thousands of uh, dividends, depending on the nature of those dividends, they could even be potentially completely tax free due to that dividend tax credit. Assuming no other source of income, like I think you already said. But right. Yeah. yeah. Assuming no other source of income. The big downsides to dividend is one, there's no corporate tax deduction, and two, there is no CPP, CPP or RRSP room um, created by paying a dividend. And so all these needs to be considered. And um, I think some, the other downside mm -hmm. to a dividend, Kenneth, you know, just in case you weren't going to say this, is that you also have to decide whether or not it's an eligible dividend or a non-eligible dividend. There's a, there's some complexity involved with. Mm -hmm with that and without going into all the nitty-gritty details of that you know a salary is a salary whereas dividends no you for tax purposes you you have to uh, uh, you know figure that out as to whether or not it's eligible or non eligible yeah and and to make things even more complicated with a dividend is you need to consider the gross up of a dividend because uh, many people like to um, make sure they stay under a certain tax bracket and if and sometimes they will forget the gross up because the gross up on a dividend uh, takes that take your income to a in uh, a notionally higher amount and that could push you up into um, a higher tax bracket and so, subject mm -hmm. yourself to some clawbacks for like let's say you're an old age mm -hmm. you're receiving old age security for example yeah you could be subject to some clawbacks you got to be careful about that right yeah. GST credit availability, that kind of stuff, Ch Canada Child Benefit. Uh, so all those income-sensitive programs, absolutely right, Kenneth, good point. Mm -hmm. All right, what else should uh, private bus business owners think before the end of the year? Mm, well, if the, if the business owner plan to sell the business in the foreseeable future, they probably want to take advantage of the lifetime capital gain exemption on that sale. For that to apply, those shares need to qualify as what's called Qualified Small Business Corporation Shares or QSBC shares. And there are a couple of complicated tests to what qualify. But one of these tests is that over a 24-month period prior to the sale, more than half of the corporation's assets needs to be in active business assets. So, for instance, if you if the corporation have way too much cash beyond what is needed for operation, and that goes over more than half of the value of those shares, you could be jeopardizing yourself on that in that twenty four month rule, 
And once you fall offside, you're going to need another 24 months to, um, to meet that test again uh, in order to use that lifetime capital gain exemption, amongst other qualifi uh, qualifications required. And just on that point, Kenneth, I, mm -hmm. you know, we've done podcasts and written on this and spoken quite a lot about this, but if you believe that the capital gains inclusion rate will eventually go up, this might be the time, regardless of the end of the calendar year coming up, to, to think about maximizing your capital gains deduction in order to, you know, prevent an erosion that could happen as a result of a capital gains inclusion rate increase. Comments? No, I totally agree. Um, and in, uh, because the lifetime capital gain exemption in many people's head is, is around $880,000, but the actual amount is actually four hundred forty around $440,000. So if, and right now, because the capital gains inclusion rate is 50%, and that's why the amount of gross capital gain that the exemption could shelter is around $880,000. So you can imagine if the capital gains inclusion rate goes up, well, the lifetime capital gain exemption continues to be the $440,000 amount. Um, but with a 75, let's say a 75% capital gains inclusion rate, suddenly you're no longer sheltering $880,000 of gain, but you're only sheltering around, say, around 600000 something of gains. Okay. Yeah, very good point. On the personal side, Kenneth, what are some quickies that, you know, business owners individually should be thinking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one that comes to mind because I, you know, I'm a parent and I know I've got to, in order to maximize the, you know, the, the grants that are available, I've got to make sure that my RESP contributions for the benefit of my children are made on a timely basis. So I got to check that off the box and make sure that I make those contributions by the end of the year. But what else? Yeah. And, and RESP is not just for the grants, as you know, uh, any any earnings inside our ESP grows tax free, and it could come out to be if it's used for the um, intended purpose, it it will be taxed in the hands of the children when they yeah. use it for tuition. So yeah. that's a it's a great um, income both income splitting and tax free growth, and um, just an overall great device. savings vehicle, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. so make sure those contributions are made by the end of the year. But what else? Yeah. Um, and related. So another registered plan, of course, is the RRSP. If the business owners have been paying themselves T4 wages, then they would have RRSP room. And probably they will want to maximize the use of those contribution rooms. Um, any dollar you contribute into RRSP, you get a corresponding deduction on your, um, on your this year's personal tax return. So unless you're in a very, very low tax bracket, our, our SP deduction is likely a very good idea. For sure. But the contributions themselves are able to be made after the end of the calendar year, usually 60 days, not usually, it's, it's always, always yeah. 60 days after the end of the calendar year. So usually uh, March 1st uh, contribution dates. So that's not really at the end of the calendar year, but still start planning for that now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, some, and some advocate for borrowing to make RSP deduction that that does make sense if you are short in cash um, but of course know that you are getting yourself into debt and the interest is not deductible either so mm -hmm. uh, make sure that you don't fall make sure you go into it eyes wide open that yeah it might make some sense but at the end of the day 
the interest is non-deductible, and you're right, it's debt. So mm -hmm. find a plan to repay it. What about TFSAs? Yeah, uh, TFSA, it uh, is it grows about it grows a small small number per year, but you should take advantage of it. And what what is it? How much is it grows by per year now? No, I don't even know off the top of my head. Oh, uh, but <laughs> I guess we should have been prepared for that. But <laughs> but, but hey, uh, you got the room, use it. Um, because what okay, what you put into TFSA do not give you a deduction, but you can you're free to take your money out any time, and any any income inside the TFSA grow uh, is tax free. Who don't like tax free income? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And then maybe last but not least, I mean, we could go on and on, but last but not least on the personal side, I mean, we always see investment advisors that are triggering capital losses within clients' portfolios, you know, I, you know just to make sure that the capital losses are available for, for any capital gains that might have been realized. Um, I don't mind that kind of planning, Kenneth, but at the end of the day, that's, that's uh, something that is very much investment driven. Like don't do this strictly for tax purposes. Do it if it makes sense within, you know, your investment objectives and in, you know, in consultation with your investment advisors. But I will say that one of the things we see routinely is when tax loss triggering is done by the end of the year, that sometimes those losses are just not able to be utilized because of the superficial loss rules, mm -hmm. um, which in plain English is what, Kenneth? Um, you cannot, you or you or your spouse or a company you control cannot buy back the same security that you just had a loss on within 30 days. If you do, that loss is denied. And we see that, you know, sometimes you'll have uh, an account with broker one and then you'll have another account with broker two and you own the same stock that you've triggered a loss in broker one, but that that same stock occurs and you know is resident and or exists in brokerage two, that's when we see it often that the superficial loss rules will apply or frankly they're just ignored and, and missed. But usually, uh, with the advice of us or good investment advisors, that can be uh, managed and avoided. So, mm -hmm. anything else before we sign off, Kenneth? I mean, that's just a short laundry list of of things that should be considered by private business owners by the end of the year. There's no shortage of other things, yeah. but... Uh, oh, I think that's good enough for today. All right. Well, happy year-end planning, and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. Bye now. Bye-bye.